0: What should separate me from your love? What should separate me from your love? you my God. Now, our sermon text today is very short, so you may remain seated. It's from the book of Romans, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, and it it is that very topic, faith. Romans 1, 16 and 17, the apostle writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the word of God. The Bible tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and everything that is in it, the plants, the trees, the fish and the river, and the seas, the animals roaming the earth birds in the air, and finally Adam, mankind, and only Adam being created in God's own image. All creation was appointed to serve mankind, and mankind was appointed to serve God by keeping and tending the rest of creation as God's steward over creation, God's representative. We are created as moral beings, which means we are created able to love God and our fellow human beings, or not to love God nor our fellow human beings. The purpose of human life was and is to glorify God by loving Him, trusting Him, and being obedient to Him. But the first humans, Adam and Eve, our ancestors they chose not to love not to trust and not to obey god desiring to be like him they rebelled against his authority they decided that god was a liar to them and that his intention for them was evil they broke his one command that they that god had given them not to eat of the tree of knowledge and good and evil The essence of their sin was not to trust and obey, which is not to to love God. And that remains true, even today. The essence of your sin and the essence of my sin is lack of trust, obedience, and therefore love of God. Since then, sin, the complete separation from their creator, the complete inability to live, according to God's will, the complete inability to do good to others has been the state of mankind and the relationship of all men and women with God. We, the Bible says, we are born in sin. Sin makes us enemies of God, foes of God, as we have sung in the song a couple of minutes ago. And as God's enemies, all mankind is the object of his righteous and terrible wrath. The Bible says that in his wrath, because they exchange the truth of God for a lie, and they worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, God has given men and women over to vile, that is, shameful and destructive passions. The Apostle Paul continues and writes, even women exchange the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another. Men committing, men with men committing what is shameful. God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things that are not fitting. They were filled with all manner of righteous, unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they, do, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Romans chapter 1, verses 25 to 32. Now, could this text be more up to date than in our days? When men get married to men and women get married to women, and everybody applauds and says, that is the way it ought to be. And if you don't say that, then you're a bad person. Could it be more up-to-date than in, in our days where men, with the help of hormones and knives, transform themselves into strange beings looking like women, but not having the glory of women that God gave them, the ability to conceive and bear children. Could this text be more up-to-date than in our days when people worship Mother Earth and are ready to sacrifice human lives for the purpose of doing something about climate change? Now, the apostle doesn't say that every man or nor every woman does all these things at the same time. But have you ever been disobedient to your parents? Has there ever been a moment where you did not obey your father's word? Well, then know that God has given you over to such practices, even though you knew that you ought not do them. Sin is a state of unrighteousness, of being guilty before God, resulting from breaking God's commands. And that may be knowingly or unknowingly, it doesn't matter. Not knowing doesn't protect you against being punished. Sin is a state of impurity, making us unfit to come into the presence of the Lord. Sin is a state of weakness against the hostile powers of the rest of creation, which rebels against mankind because mankind has rebelled against the creator. And go to the our valley and see what the hostile forces of nature can be. Now, brothers and sisters, this is a message we don't like to hear, Right? <laughs> We love to flatter ourselves because we are proud. We like to think that we're good or at least okay. And if anyone tells us that we're bad and unworthy in the eyes of our creator, we hate it. We reject it. In a lot of churches today, sin will not be spoken about because that may disturb the weak conscience of some people. But God doesn't care. God tells you who you are. We think that sin has nothing to do with us, but the one telling us this naked and sobering truth about ourselves is our creator himself, and he knows us better than we do ourselves because he made us. And he says This about us in his holy word, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of snakes is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And isn't that true? Modern man wants to talk to God eye to eye. There is no fear of God. And again, God doesn't say that every one of us is as terribly bad and debauched as he or she could be. But even if you aren't, you don't love, trust, and obey God as totally and completely and deeply as he wanted you to do when he created you. And so you, you and I are doomed for death which is the just punishment for all our sin. And there's nothing we can do about it. But the word of God does not end at that point. If you cannot do anything to get yourself out of the state of sin, God can do. And the good news is he's done it already. God himself has done everything necessary to get you out of your misery. If you cannot do anything to save yourself from the wrath of God, God can do. And the good news is that he has done everything necessary to save you from eternal destruction. If you cannot clean yourself from the stinking dirt of sin that covers you, God can clean you. And the good news is that he has done everything necessary to make you clean, to make you fit, to come back into his presence. In his great mercy, God has taken the initiative to save you. How precious is that mercy to save us? But brothers and sisters, we cannot realize how precious his mercy is unless we first realize how dirty and how guilty we are before the Lord. And that is why God teaches us and wants us to be fully aware of our sin. Because only then we will appreciate the glory of his mercy. The Gospel of Luke tells us that one day while Jesus was eating in the house of a Pharisee, a locally known whore came to his seat. Well, in the morning service, somebody came to me and said, No, Pastor, the Bible doesn't say she was a whore. The Bible says she was a sinner. Oh, yeah, but she was a woman and a well-known sinner. And so what kind of sinner was she? A whore, of course. So she came, she walked up to Jesus' seat, she washed his feet with her tears and wiped his feet with her hair. And the Pharisee was shocked. And the Pharisee said to himself, if this Jesus were truly a holy man, he would know what this woman is, what kind of a sinner this woman is, and he would not even allow her to touch him. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said to the Pharisee, Simon, Simon, her sins, which are great and many, are forgiven. And that is why she loves much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Now, take this principle to your heart, brothers and sisters. If you think that your sins are little, God's mercy will have very little value in your eyes. You need to be really hungry in order to appreciate a good meal, right? If you're always filled, you cannot appreciate a good meal. You need to be really thirsty in order to appreciate A fresh glass of water. If you've never been thirsty, you don't know how wonderful a glass of water is. If you think that you are so great that of course you deserve your husband, or of course you deserve your wife, that will be the end of your marriage. Because if you think that you're so great that you deserve your wife or you deserve your husband, it will take you five minutes and you think, oh, I actually am so great I deserve more than him or more than her. But if you're like me and you wake up in the morning and you see she's still lying there in the bed next to me and I think, oh, my God, I'm such an idiot and she's still there. I don't deserve my wife's love, but she still loves me. That's what glues a marriage together. And so it is the same with our relationship to God. We need to appreciate the greatness of his mercy, of his grace. And we will only appreciate that when we realize the enormous, how enormous our sins are in the eyes of our Lord. Amazing grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a what? A great man like me? No. A wretch. What is a wretch? What is a wretch? A poor, desperate, helpless, man or woman. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. So brothers and sisters, realize what wretch you are in the eyes of your God to see how amazing is his grace. Now the name of the good news the apostle Paul speaks about in this text is called the gospel of Christ. Gospel, the Greek word is euangelion. Euangelion, eu. We know that from euphoria, right? Or utopia. The this little syllable eu means great joy. For Wonderful. So, gospel means good, wonderful, joyful news. It is not news in the sense that it was known before. The apostle says, as it is written to remind us that all of what we call the Old Testament has already announced the good news of the mercy of God. But it is news in the sense that From now on, it is a public declaration. Everybody can hear it now. All around the world, people can hear it now. It is the gospel of Christ because it is the good news that Jesus Christ preached while he was living among mankind. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, and whosoever believes in me will not die but live. It is the good gospel of Christ because it is the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God who came into the world to save all those who believe in him. Now, what's the content of that good news? It is this. The righteousness of God is that the just shall live by faith. So what is the righteousness of God? It is the righteousness that counts, that is valid in the Lord's court of judgment on the last day. It is not the Lord's own quality of being righteous. Sometimes we speak of the righteousness of God, meaning that God is righteous. But this is not what is in view here. What is in view here is that when Brother Martinez stands before his God on judgment day, something must be there for God to look at him and say, righteous. And Sister Shirley, when she stands before the judgment throne of God, something must be there so that he looks at her and says, righteous. Come into my kingdom, live eternally. Now, what is that righteousness? Obviously, it is not Martine's or Shirley's or anybody's righteousness, quality of being righteous, because we've already learned that we are all sinners. What it is, is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. In Romans 5, verses 18 and 19, the apostle states this core of the gospel as follows. As through one man's, that's Adam, one man's offense, judgment came to all mankind, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, The free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. And that one man is Jesus Christ. And his righteous act is his obedience, his complete trust in the Father in heaven, even unto death on the cross. And the apostle continues, for as by one man's, Adam's, disobedience, we were made sinners, so also by one man's Jesus Christ obedience, many will be made righteous. The righteousness that counts before the Lord on judgment day is not the fruit of your own righteous acts, simply because we have very, very little to show. It is the righteousness of Christ, the one and only one man who was without sin. Now, remember what we heard in the Scripture lesson. God spoke to Abraham, and Abraham was in a very hopeless situation, he thought. Abraham was old. His wife, Sarah, was old, and she was way beyond childbearing age. They had no son which means they had no one to pass on their wealth to. And they were very wealthy people because God had given them gold and silver and lots of animals and lots of of slaves. And they had no one to pass on God's promises to them, the promise that Abraham would be a blessing to all nations the promise that Abraham would have descendants as numerous as the stars in heaven. But without his own son, Abraham thought, well, God, nice promises, but you really have nothing to give to me. But God, God promised Abraham in that moment that in a year's time, Abraham would have a son from his wife, Sarah. And Abraham believed, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Now, was Abraham a righteous man? No. Abraham was a trickster, a liar, just a sinner like we are. But it was accounted to him as righteousness. And so, what that says is God, who is infinitely righteous, took some of his own righteousness and accounted it to Abraham, wrote it on Abraham's account. So that from then on, although Abraham was born in sin like you and me, God would look at Abraham and say, oh, righteous, because he had righteousness accounted to him. It was not a righteousness that Abraham deserved or earned by what he did. It was righteousness transferred to him, given to him by God himself, so that Abraham would live eternally. Why? because he believed the Lord's promise. He trusted God, and the subsequent story tells us that he obeyed his command. Now, we're all lazy reading the Bible, right? And, and I'm, I'm sure you've never read the Bible this way. But what happened that night? Abraham went to Sarah's tent and said, Honey, time to make love because God said we're going to have a child. And what do you think Sarah said? Sarah said, You're crazy. And Abraham said, God told me, and I believe him, and you better believe him too. And so they went to to the tent and they made love, knowing very well that all their servants... We're listening and thinking, now the old man has gone mad. He's completely out of his mind. And they laughed about him. They ridiculed him. But Abraham trusted God against all the ridicule, against all the laughter, against all human reasonability saying chances are zero. That's what faith trust, and do what God tells you, even you think it's crazy. And Abraham did, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. The righteousness that counts before the Lord for us is the righteousness of God's own Son, Jesus Christ. The question is, how can you and I, Obtain that righteousness so that we have life. The gospel is the answer. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Put your trust not in your own righteousness, but in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Obey Him. Trust and obey, and the Lord God on judgment day will account the righteousness of His Son to you. And look at you and say, Righteous. You are not righteous, but the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ will be regarded as yours in the Lord's judgment court. The just or the righteous will live by faith. Those and only those declared righteous before the Lord will live. Faith in Jesus is what is necessary for God to declare you righteous, even though you were born in sin, even though you are a sinner. And this is the greatest news you can ever have, because one thing is sure, the righteousness of Christ is sufficient to give you life. If you don't have the righteousness of Christ, you will live until your last second in fear and tremble, thinking that maybe I was quite okay but not good enough. If you take God seriously. But if you know that it's not what your righteousness what counts, it is Christ's righteousness that counts. Boy, you can relax and be happy because Christ's righteousness is so great, it will cover you and me and everybody else if we trust in Christ and if we obey him and love him. The gospel, the apostle says, is a power to salvation for everyone who believes. The gospel is proclaimed all over the world it incites those who hear it properly to faith in Jesus Christ because as Romans 10:17 says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God by real how do you hear it? how do you hear the gospel properly by realizing that you're a sinner condemned to eternal death by hearing the sweet call of God's mercy on you, by appreciating the greatness of his mercy, and by responding to his call with trust, obedience, and love of Jesus Christ. You can trust in your own righteousness, and God will give you over to condemnation and hell. But if you trust in the righteousness of Jesus being accounted to you, God will have mercy on you, and you will have eternal life. You can go by your own rules and commands, and God will judge you as a sinner. You obey the Lord Jesus Christ, and God will judge you righteous on Jesus' account. This, in fact, is the only power to salvation God holds out for mankind. Jesus himself said in the Gospel of Mark, he who does not believe will be condemned. Which is why all who believe in Jesus have an urgent obligation to tell this Gospel to everyone they love. You're a sinner doomed to death. Jesus is the one righteous man. Trust and obey him, and you will be saved. At the beginning of our short text, the Apostle says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now, why would anyone be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, first of all, because to understand and appreciate God's mercy in Christ, you must acknowledge to be a a wretch, And if you take that seriously, your pride is gone. That's why we should be ashamed of the gospel. Because it holds a mirror in our face. And if you look at it, what you see is not pretty. Second, today Christians are shamed publicly for speaking about sin and death and punishment. But claiming God's mercy doesn't make us proud. When we say we are children of God, we know it is not because we've earned it, but because our God is so merciful. And finally, our Lord Jesus died the most shameful death on the cross. And throughout history and today, believers have been ridiculed and shamed for worshiping a victim. Somebody dying a shameful death. Back in Jesus' time, at the time of the early church, the Romans made awful jokes about the Christians. Because Christians prayed to someone who was slaughtered by the Romans. And today, you will find Muslims who say, Ah, you Christians, you're idiots. You're praying to a man who died on the cross. And we say, yes, he died on the cross for us. But on the third day, he was risen from the dead. And that shows he is the Son of God. And that's the glory we worship. And so we need not be ashamed of the gospel. We have his righteousness, and we praise Jesus for for what he did for us. We praise our Father in heaven for saving us by faith in Jesus Christ, And we rejoice in the life we have. Amen. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts for coming to us as our Savior. And we confess, Lord, that we do not like to hear what wretches we are. But when we know what glorious mercy you have for us, we take it, Lord, and we're amazed of your grace. Amen. Amen. What should separate me from your love? What should separate me from your love? I do not.